I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in the future of work. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. I recently got to wondering about the impact of working from home on families writ large. If we look beyond what's going on with productivity, work-life balance, and the usual suspects, what's the impact on families? Are families better off emotionally, physically, and psychologically with parents working from home or not? As I thought about this, I was also considering that with the Industrial Revolution of the 1700s and 1800s, there was this tremendous impact on family life. And has the pandemic, with its trend of working from home, had a potentially positive impact on the family unit? What trends are we seeing with things like teen pregnancy, teen drug and alcohol use, and the divorce rate over these past few years? Well, this week on the podcast, I dive into the data and make sense of the trends. Okay, as you know, I like to situate things in historical context. And as a quick aside, I never liked learning about history much when I was young, but the older I get, the more fascinating history becomes to me, especially when it can help inform the present and the future. Okay, so as you might have guessed, quick history lesson. In the pre-industrial age, and we're talking like mid-1700s for the most part, and mostly in Great Britain and other parts of Europe, essentially, because the European settlers were just coming to what would become the United States at that time. Now, these same phenomenon don't occur in the United States for another hundred or so years. But so let's imagine that it's the 1700s in Europe. Prior to this, most people lived in rural settings, living very agrarian lives. They either farmed the land or created artisan goods, weaving cloth, hand sewing clothes, making pottery or shoes and so forth. And they sold those goods for their livelihood. They lived with their extended families, all living together or very nearby. They had huge families by today's standards, lots and lots of kids, nieces, nephews, grandkids, and so forth. And all of those kids were needed to help tend the land and create the goods or care for the younger offspring while the parents did those jobs. Now, along come things like steam power and the factories that they afforded, and advances in production lead to factories in urban areas. And then there's this accompanying migration to urban areas as people move to seek jobs in those factories. Now, before this, families, typically a married couple and their children, worked side by side on the family farm or in the shop where they made those things, you know, clothing, shoes, and so on. Now, the family home and the workplace were one in the same prior to the Industrial Revolution, or if there was a shop involved, the home was attached to the shop or above the shop. So the Industrial Revolution unfolds and people start leaving their homes to go to work to this other place that is no longer their home. So the rise in factory production and jobs in urban areas means that for the very first time, for most people, there is this separation of the home from the workplace. 
Now, initially, this was mostly men going to work because women stayed at home to raise children during the day while the men were toiling in the factories. This does eventually change and women start going to those factories. And I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, In cases where the geographic distance was significant, and lots of times it was, this meant that the men left their rural homes for urban areas and were gone for long periods of time. The work was laborious and the days were long. 16-hour days were common back then. So even if the men were able to travel home at the end of the workday, they were so exhausted and there was little downtime, so they couldn't keep up their role in the family in the same way. And then there also does become a place in factory work for women as well, which swells, especially in times of war. And the Industrial Revolution led to more women entering the workforce as they were needed to help support their families now, especially the ones living in urban areas. Now, in the midst of all of this, the family unit changes drastically. Instead of being a large extended family with lots of aunts and uncles and cousins as part of daily life, when families moved to urban areas, They often did so as a nuclear family, just the parents and children. This changes how children are raised and how families relate to one another. It also changes the economics of the family because now there's not necessarily a host of relatives around to help care for younger children who cannot be left unattended while parents are away at the factory. And over time, the family unit becomes smaller, not as many children. So in pre-industrial times, families, again, were very typically large as children were seen as an economic asset. They could help with farm work or other household chores and childcare for younger siblings, and they could also provide support for their parents in old age in addition to learning the trade that their parents did, especially if it wasn't agriculture, if it was, say, cobbling shoes or weaving cloth. Now, when the Industrial Revolution comes along, that as I mentioned, leads to a decline in the number of children in families. And this is due to a number of factors, including the rising cost of living in urban areas, different living conditions in urban areas, and the challenging role and changing role of women in society. All right, now let's circle back to that idea of the home and its importance. So the Industrial Revolution led to a separation of work and home life. In pre-industrial times, work and home were very much combined as people worked in their own homes or on their own farms or in their shops that were connected to their homes. The Industrial Revolution, of course, then leads to this rise in factories where people are working long hours away from their homes. So what is the consequence of all this? Well, it meant that the home became more important as a place of rest and relaxation. It was no longer a place of work. It also became a more important place in relation to how children were raised. Again, this is all unfolding across Great Britain and the more industrial parts of Europe in the mid-1700s. A similar pattern follows the United States about 100 years later, after its independence is won. Industrialization throughout the mid-1800s in the United States follows a similar pattern of rapidly growing urban areas and migration to cities. So in the late 1800s and early 1900s, labor also was starting to organize and industrial nations like the United States, Germany, Great Britain, and others are starting to enact laws that limit the abuse of the factory system, again, (laughs) curbing those 16-hour days, creating better working conditions, including shorter work days and safer conditions. 
Now, here we are anywhere from 250 years later, if you trace it all the way back to that first wave of the Industrial Revolution in Great Britain, or 150 years later, if you start with the U.S. migration from rural to urban. And here we are. The family home and the workplace have, again, become one in the same for many. So what are the social consequences of that? What are the productivity consequences? What's the work-life balance blend consequence of that? What's the sociological consequence of that? Well, I think there are some consequences and they are starting to unfold and they will continue to unfold as we see if the work from home trend lasts and what the lasting consequences of it are, if indeed it does last. So, but right now, let's dive into this a little bit greater and see what's going on. And we'll cover a few of the usual suspects first, and then we'll get into some of the more potentially surprising data on what work from home might be meaning for families. And there are some surprises. So first, the usual suspects. These are the things that we've been talking about as we talk about and tout the benefits of working from home, and of course, the drawbacks of working from home, because it's not necessarily all sunshine and roses. There are some drawbacks. So first, the usual suspects. Number one, increased flexibility. Working from home gives people more flexibility in their schedules, and that has a positive impact on families. This can be helpful for families with children as it allows parents to be more present with their children during the day, and it can also be helpful for families with busy schedules as it allows them to work around other commitments and potentially drive their younger children to and from their activities when they overlap with the workday, as they often do in the summer, and I'm experiencing this presently. Uh, Number two, increased communication. Working from home can also lead to increased communication between family members. Now, this is because family members are more likely to be in the same place at the same time, and they're more able to see and hear each other throughout the day, popping in to get quick questions answered or share updates as the day unfolds. And this can help strengthen family bonds and create a more cohesive family unit. Number three, increased productivity. (laughs) for some anyway. Working from home can lead to increased productivity for some people. This is because those who work from home are often able to focus better and avoid distractions. Again, it entirely depends upon the composition of your family structure and what your home looks like and if there's a good place for you to work. It is important to note, of course, that not everyone is able to work from home productively. And I've covered this on a number of podcast episodes, most recently last week on episode 119, where I discussed the four-day work week and the consequences that might have on flexible work arrangements. Number four, and this is where we get into some of the downside, increased isolation. Working from home can lead to increased isolation for some people, and this is because people who work from home may not have as much social interaction as they would if they worked in an office. This can lead to feelings of loneliness and isolation. So again, it's not all upside on this work from home thing. And number five, increased childcare responsibilities. And this kind of goes both ways. It can be an economic benefit to be caring for children while working from home, but it can also be a detriment to your productivity if the caring for children is getting in the way of your workday. And catch episode 117 for the pros and cons of caregiving while holding down a full-time job. But if both parents are working from home, they may need to share those childcare responsibilities. And this can be a challenge, but it can also be an opportunity for parents to spend more time with their kids. So this one is a bit of a two-sided coin. 
All right, so those are the usual suspects. Those are the things that we often talk about, and they tend to get discussed when we think about the impact of working from home on families. There are both, of course, benefits and challenges associated with working from home, and the impact that they're going to have are going to vary greatly from one individual family to the next. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. So again, those are the challenges that are fairly well known and already discussed. But I got to thinking, with all the changes to the family unit as a result of the Industrial Revolution, when the home and the workplace were first divided into two distinct places and geographies in large scale for most families, well, as I mentioned before, there was a huge impact on the family. So I got to wondering, what's occurring now that wasn't occurring just a few years ago when very few people were working from home? What impact has this grand work from home experiment had on families? So I dug into some demographic and sociological data, and I uncovered a few surprises. As we take a look at this data, let me be clear. I am absolutely not suggesting any cause and effect relationship with any of this data. I am not even going to suggest correlation. It is way too soon for any of that. Let's just for now, think of this as a cluster of interesting data. I'll be drawing some conclusions on this data, very preliminary conclusions, which may end up being completely off the mark. So knowing this, I do plan to revisit this topic as more data becomes available and more conclusive conclusions can actually be drawn. Okay, with that disclaimer, let's look at some of the more interesting data. So again, I was wondering, how has working from home and the reunification of the home and the workplace impacted American society. And I'm looking at American society here because that's the data that was most readily available when I was researching this topic. The trends may follow a similar pattern in other countries and other jurisdictions, or they may not. I'm not sure. I'm just looking at the data in the U.S. So I wondered about things like teen pregnancy. Does the teen pregnancy rate go down when parents are working from home? I also wondered about teen substance abuse, like drugs and alcohol? Does it go down when parents are around the home more? I wondered about the divorce rate too. Does it go up or down if both spouses are working from home? (laughs) And really that one could go either way. I also wondered if families are eating meals together more. Maybe they just have to, or maybe they actually want to. So what does the data say and how might that data be related to working from home? All right, let's go first into the teen pregnancy rate. The teen pregnancy rate in the United States has been falling since 1991. And since the pandemic, it's reaching even lower numbers than ever before. 
For further context, the rate of teen births in 1991 in the United States was 61.8, almost 62 births per 1,000 females between the ages of 13 and 19. Now, it's been falling a bit every year since then. And over time, that has accumulated to quite a large drop. In fact, in 2018, well before the pandemic, it was 17.4 births per 1,000 female teens. Again, from 61.8 all the way down to 17.4. So again, a nice downward slope over the previous couple of decades. In 2022, the latest data available, it dropped to 13.5 per 1,000 females. That's a 25% drop in four years from 2018 to 2022. That's astounding. Of course, part of that would have to do with the stay-at-home orders from the very early stages of the pandemic. But I'm also guessing that a parent or even a couple of parents working from home is going to make it that much more challenging for a couple of teens to find the time and place to mess around. Now, teenage hormones aside, there are lots of other places besides the home in which to engage in said activities, but I do think that the increase in communication at home, as I mentioned earlier, may also play a role. Parents might know where their teens are these days much more than they did a few years ago. And of course, if one or more parents are working from home, it may make the convenience of said teen activities less likely to occur. Next, the percentage of teens using alcohol and drugs declined significantly in 2001. Now, this is, of course, largely due to the pandemic. Again, those stay-at-home orders, and I will project again, more parents working from home. The decrease in drug and alcohol use that happened in 2021 held steady in 2022. Again, when we put this in context, it's even more interesting. So kids, for the most part, went back to in-person school in 2021 and 2022, back to their extracurricular activities, back to socializing with friends outside of school. And drug and alcohol use, again, which had dropped during the early part of the pandemic, stayed steady. It did not bounce back up to pre-pandemic rates. And I'm predicting that this is in large part, again, associated with more and more parents working from home. Home may be the place where kids experiment. And with a parent just around the corner, instead of coming home at 5 or 6 p.m., it might persuade kids to make other choices. So it will be so interesting to continue to watch these numbers and continue to watch the number of work from home situations, whether they stay the same or change, and and watch and see if there is some potential correlation uh, to these numbers over time. Now, third, a recent Harvard study showed that 80% of teenagers claim that family dinner time is the time that they are most likely to engage with their parents in conversation. And we've been eating together with our kids and families much more since the pandemic began. Of course, during the stay-at-home orders, people had to eat in the same space, their home, and they didn't, of course, have to eat at the same time as one another, actually sharing a meal. But... For those who did, that's where a big chunk of the increased communication may be happening around that dinner table. These days, 54% of Americans are cooking at home more now than they were prior to the pandemic. So that dinner table conversation may be where the increase in communication is coming from. 
Now, finally, let's take a look at the divorce rate in the United States. The divorce rate in the U.S. has been declining slightly every year for the past two decades, except when a recession ends. Presumably, in tough economic times, couples who are in trouble stick it out through the economic crunch, and then when there is some wiggle room, they have more capacity to divide assets, sell real estate, and so forth. And the pandemic is a bit like a recession in that respect. The divorce rate dropped more than usual in 2020, and then it bounced back up again in 2021. Presumably, a bunch of those divorces were ones that got postponed during the pandemic in 2020. And in case you're interested in the stats for a little context, in the United States in 2010, there were 3.5 divorces per 1,000 married people. And in 2019, so 19 years later, that number had dropped to 2.7 per 1,000 people. And in 2020, the number dropped from 2.7 the previous year to 2.3 per 1,000 people. And then in 2021, it bumped back up to 2.5 per 1,000 people. So not quite back to the 2019 rate, but there was uh, an upward trend. And we'll have to just continue to watch the data to see what happens there. Now, apart from the divorce rate, which seems to be following economic trends, which makes sense in terms of how the pandemic limited people's mobility and they had to stay home. These other factors, the teen pregnancy rate, teen drug and alcohol use, and an increase in sitting around the dinner table where more communication occurs, may just have something to do with an increase in working from home. (laughs) Or they might not. Because maybe it's not a work from home issue at all. Maybe it's a general health scare of the pandemic and the way it brought families closer together. Or maybe it's something else entirely. But you can bet that I'll be keeping an eye on it and bringing you the trends and the predictions as they unfold. Whatever is behind how all this transpires, it's fun to think about and explore just the same. Especially as we think about the societal and sociological changes that come about from broad-scale changes in where we work, just as they did in the Industrial Revolution. So in summary, I think the data are fascinating. I also think it's too soon to be suggesting any cause and effect with this data. And as I said before, I'm not even going to suggest correlation. For now, this is just a cluster of interesting data that I am making some hypotheses about. We'll have to continue to watch and see how the data unfold to see if those hypotheses play out or not. So this is something I will continue to watch and see how it all evolves. And if there's a trend in returning to the office on a grand scale, it will be really interesting to keep an eye on these other statistics to see if they change in relation to going back to the office in larger numbers. We're going to see where these trends take us. All right. If you found this episode interesting, please do me this one tiny favor. Share it with just one person. Right now, as I sign off, right here from your podcast player, use the share feature and send it to a friend. Or if you're watching on YouTube, share it from there. Share it directly to your social media channel with your own commentary. I'd love to be part of that discussion if you choose to do so. So make sure you tag me so that I can chime in. All right, my friends, until next time, be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations.